Well, Luke, passion. How do you <laughs> how do you get passion? It's like the uh watch that Duke North Carolina game last night and just all the people that showed up for that last game for Coach K and just this passion for and then they lost. But um <laughs> The whole passion, it's like we, we build passion all the time. I've got this passion for, we've waited two, two and a half years to go to Israel, and now we're like 25 days away, and it's just like, it's building and building as we uh, get closer and closer. But Paul, this guy, you think about all that he went through, the riots that he went through, the beatings that he went through, the shipwrecks that he went through, all the the tragedies and he didn't care because he was he had this passion about what we term as evangelism about sharing the gospel but here's the great thing about paul is he's he's probably in the same seat that you are and you don't even like realize this but he came from the old covenant he came from the law Moses' law where he had to do this and do that and all these things and there was restrictions and then all of a sudden Jesus came, died and set him free from the old covenant. And he's got this new covenant. Now he gets to go out and tell people, hey, there, there's, new, there's a new way of living. You're not under the Mosaic law anymore. You're under the law of Christ, which is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love others. That's it. Period. Just love. And so this is the good news, and he's like passionate about it. And he's wanting to tell everybody about it. And he's he's done three missionary trips, and this last one that we finished up, he's like, I'm going back to Jerusalem to take this relief fund that we've collected from all the Gentiles, and it's going to be a cool thing. And they're all saying, no, don't go back, don't go back. Because they love Paul. If you go back, you're going to be in trouble. Because this was the end of the third missionary. Think about this for a second. If Jesus died in 30 AD, and Paul starts his first missionary journey in 47 AD, 17 years later, after his conversion... He goes for three years, starting churches in Ephesus and Galatia and in different areas. Then he, he comes back, and immediately he goes back out again in 50 AD on his second missionary journey and goes another three to four years. He comes back in 53 AD. And then in 54 AD, he goes on his third missionary journey, touching all these churches that he's basically started from scratch, left people in charge. And he's gone for almost four years. He gets back in 58 D to Jerusalem. You're talking about a span of 12 years. 25 since Jesus is gone. If you think about, if you think about what has happened here in our community and basically in our world in the last two years, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's gone on, right? <laughs> a lot of changes that have occurred in just in the last two years that have changed in the last month. But you're talking like 12 years he's left Jerusalem, Israel, that whole area, and he's been gone. 
And now he's coming back. And things have changed. So we're picking up now as he comes in to Jerusalem. We're in chapter 21. Chapter 21, it says this. Verse 15. After this, we got ready and we went up to Jerusalem. You always, for those of you going with me to Israel, when you go to Jerusalem, you always go up. It's always up. You don't go down. If you're in the northern and the Temple Mount and Jerusalem's in the south, you don't go down to Jerusalem. You go up to Jerusalem. It's always you go up. After this, we got ready and we went up to Jerusalem. So he was in Caesarea. He was about 64 miles away. I told you last week that usually takes about three days walking. If you have animals, it probably takes two days. Verse 16, it says, Some of the disciples from Caesarea also went with us and brought us to Manson of Cyprus. Remember Cyprus? That's that little island that sits in the Mediterranean Sea that they came around on the south side. This is where Manson's from. He's not Jewish. That would make him a Gentile. It says, an early disciple with whom we were to stay. So now he's living in Jerusalem. He's from Cyprus. He's a Gentile. He's a believer. He's moved there. And he's going to house Paul and these people from Caesarea and these Gentiles that have followed him from all over the other churches. That makes sense because the Jews would have a hard time letting Gentiles stay in their house. So they found this Gentile man that was able to host Paul and his buddies. Verse 17, it says, When we reached Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters, that would be the church, that's the believers in Jesus, big C church, they welcomed us warmly. We come into town, it's kind of like a little party, hugging, kissing, all that stuff. Paul's back in town. It says, the following day, Paul went in with us to James. This would be Jesus' half-brother. He's the guy that wrote the, the book of James. And all the elders were present. After greeting them, he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Paul has a chance to sit there with the guys from Jerusalem. James, they're all Jews. They're all Jews, and he's given a report. You wouldn't believe over the last 12 years what has occurred and how many Gentiles have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then, I, I'm assume, I have to assume right here, I have to like paint this picture of what actually happened because you know as we've gone throughout this missionary journeys that he's gone to every church and he's collected funds, right? And he had all his disciples collect funds because there was this famine going on in Jerusalem and they were struggling. So Paul's like, we'll collect money from the Gentiles and we'll bring it back to the Jews and everything will be cool. Well, in Acts, Luke wrote Acts, and there's not one mention of the Jerusalem fund. Like we know in his letters, he says, we're collecting this fund, and I'm taking it to Jerusalem. Look, it says, 
after greeting them, he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. I looked. There's nothing about Paul giving them the Jerusalem bun. He never mentions it in Acts. Paul never mentions it in his letters to come. So what in the world happened? I'm sure that he gave them the money. But it was from the Gentiles. Yeah, that's how bad it was. That's how bad the division was. They probably took the money, but it came from the Gentiles. Who cares? I'm sure they took it. I'm sure they were appreciative. There's no mention of it. It, it. it obviously didn't affect them like Paul thought it would. But here's what you have to know. Here's what I have to know. Paul was obedient to the Spirit. The Spirit said, do this. Go collect the funds for Jerusalem and take it to him. And he did that. Once he hands that money to him, it's no longer his responsibility. He did what God told him to do. What they do with it, how they thank him for it, he was being obedient to the Spirit. But it's just intriguing to me. There's no mention of it here in the Scripture. Verse 20, it says this, When they heard it, all the things that have occurred, it says they glorified God and said, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. Look at that verse again. When they heard it, they glorified God. When they heard what Paul had done in reaching the Gentiles, they said, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, it changed. What it changed to? Them. Look what happened here. There's, there's thousands of Jews that are here who have believed. So you can talk about all the things that you've done in these churches, but we've been busy here too. And not only that, Paul, but these Jews believe in Jesus and they're still obeying the law. They're keeping the law. Oh, gosh. <laughs> they're zealous for the law. What, what was Paul's reaction? <laughs> you know, what do you, what do you say to that? I, I get it. The Mosaic law was given to the Jews. And it's hard to let that go because you know it came from God and it was important to God. But obviously things changed when Jesus died on the cross. He said, you guys, you weren't ever able to do the law. You weren't ever able to obey the law. You weren't able to fulfill the law in the old covenant. So now I'm going to die and I'm going to be buried. I'm going to raise again. I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to send a spirit and the spirit's going to live inside of you and you'll be able to live by the spirit. So for Paul, I'm sure he just paused. It says in verse 21, but they have been informed about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to abandon Moses. 
telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to our customs. <laughs> now Paul's like going, oh, I've been set up. They've been talking about this. People are coming in here and talking about me. And these guys aren't necessarily hearing the truth. They don't really know what I'm teaching. They don't know what I'm doing. Because we know, based upon Paul, is every time he went to a new city, he went to the Jews first. And then he went to the Gentiles. <laughs> it's kind of crazy after the warm greetings and the fellowship and the praising of God. It's now time to turn on Paul. The guy with all the passion. It says verse 22, So what is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. So what are we supposed to do now? We hear all these rumors and everybody's believing all these rumors. What do we do with you, Paul? We have to do something. They're expecting us to confront you and to prove that these rumors are not true. What are we going to do? And I'm assuming Paul's just sitting there. <laughs> yeah, you've thought this out. I'm set up. Verse 23. Therefore, do what we tell you. They have a plan. We have four men who have made a vow. That would be a Nazarite vow. Take these men, and you know that Paul's already made this vow at some point in his his life. Did we lose me? Check one, two, three. It just went out. Check one, two, three. You know, check. <laughs> you know the evil one. You got me? You know the evil one rules the airwaves. <laughs> I believe that. I'm assuming this will cut back in here in a minute, but if it doesn't, uh, I totally forgot where it was. Uh, he, so, so he's taken this vow. He's taken this Nazarite vow at some point in his life. He, he's literally done this before. So now take these men, purify yourself along with them and pay for them to get their heads shaved. That's, that's part of the Nazarite vow. Remember, Samson took that vow and he didn't shave his hair. All right. But now their heads are shaved for the purification process. Then everyone will know that they were told about you. What, that what they were told about you amounts to nothing, but that you yourself are also careful about observing the law. So, Paul, if you want to, like, uh, get into the good graces of all the Jewish people here in Jerusalem, this is what you got to do. These four guys have already said their vows and they're going through the rituals and everything else. If you pay for them, you know, you've totally bought into it and everything else. And then you go through the purification process. Everybody's going to go, okay, he's still a Jew. He's still good. Do this. This was purely Jewish rituals. No vow here. Verse 25, with regard to the Gentiles who have believed, 
we have written a letter containing our decision that they should keep themselves from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, for what is strangled, and from sexual immorality. Now, you're sitting there like going, wait, the Jews are again putting laws on the Gentiles, but the Gentiles are actually free. Remember, as we went through Galatians, he's like, you got these people that are going to come along behind me and tell you you have to do all these things, you have to get circumcised and do da 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 Well, don't forget, when they were done with the first missionary journey and Paul was reaching these Gentiles, there again was this same conflict. What are you teaching? What are you teaching? And so he came to Jerusalem and he said, this is what I'm teaching. And they said, we support you as long as you do these few laws. Paul's like, all right, I'll give you these laws. I'll give you, this was in Acts 15. And they wrote a letter saying, you know, if you hold to these laws, he can teach whatever he wants. And they supported Paul and everything else. So now they're going back and saying, hey, remember what we gave you. We already gave you the letter. It's already there for the Gentiles. Remember, the Gentiles are supposed to do these things. Verse 26 says, So the next day, Paul took the men, having purified himself along with them, and entered the temple, announcing the completion of the purification days when the offering would be made for each of them. So Paul went through the rituals with the men, never took the vow, because it was obviously done years ago for him. And I'm assuming that he did this because Paul says, whatever it takes for people to hear the gospel. If that's what you want me to do, just so I can talk about the goodness of Jesus, I'll do this. I'll go through the purification process. I'll make the payment. We can put up with a lot of unnecessities just to have the opportunity to share the truth. I, I'll do that. It's kind of like the, the same grace that he gave the Gentiles freedom to abstain. He's also given the Jews the same grace to be able to do the laws. Paul's like, be all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. Seems incredible that um, Paul's enemies would accuse him of all people for these things, for all the evidence was against him. You think about what Paul did when he went on the second missionary journey. He took Timothy and he made Timothy get circumcised. Remember that? He's like, hey, if you want to be able to like relate to the Jews, yeah, you're going to have to do that. And they did. Paul had taken this Jewish vow while he was in Corinth in, in Acts 18, 18. And it was his custom not to offend the Jews in any way. He didn't want to deliberately violate their laws. And we see that throughout the scripture. First Corinthians chapter 9, when he wrote that letter, he was saying, this is what I do. However, all this stuff that's going around Paul is rumors. It's not necessarily based upon fact. Obviously, it's half-truths, it's prejudice, just outright lies. This is what Paul's having to deal with. Verse 27. 
when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place, being in the temple. They're in the temple. What's more, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen him with Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him. And they supposed that Paul, did you get that word? And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Now, let's put a picture of the the temple up there and let me show you what I'm talking about. This is a, a model of the temple that was there during Jesus' time. And you can see, obviously, right in the middle, the big, big, tall part of it. This is actually the Holy of Holies. And inside of this, there was the veil, and the priest would go behind that. That's a whole different story. This is the women's court right here inside this wall, and then the men's court is right inside here. And this is where they were probably having this purification process. There's a priest court. But this court right here, the two big ones, if you can't see the map for what I'm pointing to, the two big areas right there, that's the Gentile court. The Gentiles could actually go in there, but they couldn't go in here. They couldn't. All right? Then I want you to notice this area right here too. This is what is known as the barracks. This is what Herod built and it was for the Roman soldiers to keep control over the temple area. You get to that here in just a second. So now they're saying they're accusing Paul of taking Trophimus into the non Gentile area. Wait, you took a Gentile in there? where no Gentile was allowed to go? It says, supposedly. Now, here's the good news. We're going there in a month, and that's not there. The Temple Mount is there, but all that stuff is not there. It's been destroyed. It got destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, just 12 years later. Now there's a mosque there that the Muslims have built. We'll be able to go up on that temple mount. But here's the interesting thing. In, in one of Paul's next letters, he writes to the church at Ephesus. He says this in verse chapter 2, verse 14. He says, For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. That wall that separates the Gentiles from the Jews no longer stands. That wall separating the women and the men no longer stands. It's interesting. But on the wall that's there in the temple court that speaks about the Gentiles not entering, it actually said an inscription, No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught so doing will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Like, if there's a Gentile that enters into this temple area, 
he's going to die. The Romans really at this point had given the Jews, the religious leaders, authority to even make this judgment and pass this judgment, and it included the right of execution for them. We can kill anybody that went inside here that wasn't allowed to. Now that that law plays an important role in what happened to Paul a week after he and the four Nazarites began their purification ceremonies. If this accusation is true. So think about it. Now we're listening to Jews that are spreading this rumor who lived in Jerusalem and they were dispersed. Remember all that when the Romans came in and they were dispersed and they had to go everywhere. This group that's accusing him probably landed in Ephesus because they're reporting about a man that Paul hung out with from Ephesus that was a Gentile. So we're assuming they're from Ephesus. And they were only there. Remember, Paul was coming to Jerusalem for the Pentecost. So everybody, all the Jews around were coming into the area as well. And we're assuming that they were just visiting. But they made this accusation about Paul. And all of a sudden, just chaos broke loose. Paul brought a Gentile into the temple area that was restricted. Doesn't he know what this means? It means death. They're obviously against Paul and established this rumor that they can't prove. We we call this fake news. Uh, It's the same tactics that Satan's using today. He's using then. I mean, you, you're seeing it play out with this war. There's just lies being sown all over the place. And that's just the ploy of the evil one. He's doing the same thing with Paul right here. They saw Paul walking with Trophimus in the city. So they assumed that he walked into the restricted area with Paul. They assumed. And they made this accusation. Verse 30, it says, the whole city was stirred up and the people rushed together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. Literally, somebody just said one rumor out loud to a group of people and a mob occurred. They took, they took Paul out of the temple, get out, and they started beating him. <laughs> Paul's like, ah. I just want to tell you the good news. I'm passionate about it. Verse 31 says, As they were trying to kill him, word went up to the commander of the regiment that all Jerusalem was in chaos. Taking along soldiers and centurions, he immediately ran down to him. Now this would be Commander Claudius Lysias. We know that because he's actually mentioned two chapters later. So Commander Claudius hears there's commotion going on. He's in those barracks up there on the northwest corner of the temple. And it says he takes two or he takes two centurions. Centurions is plural, so that means there's at least two centurions. At least two. Could be more. Those barracks would house a thousand soldiers. So he's got at least two centurions. If you know what 
A centurion is, he's a commander of how many people? A hundred people. So if there's two, at least two, 200 soldiers came with the centurions. So now the commander comes down, two centurions and 200 soldiers, minimum. Because they're beating Paul to a pulp and there's chaos going on. They have no idea what's going on. It says, seeing the commander and the soldiers... 200 plus people, they stopped beating Paul. It's the Romans, it's the Romans, it's the Romans. Then the commander approached, took him into custody, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Hmm. If you back up to verse 10, where we were last week, when Paul was on his way to Jerusalem, he stopped, and Agabus took his belt and bound his hands and his feet and said, if you go there, this is what they're going to do to you. Like he prophesied that was what was going to happen. And now it says, what did it say? It says, the commander took him into custody and ordered him to be bound with two chains, one for his hands and one for his feet. The same thing that he was told, if you go, The captain's like binding Paul and he doesn't even know what he's capturing him for. He thought he was like the Egyptian rebel who wanted the Roman who were uh wanted by the Romans because they were involving this riot among the Jews. We know that because he says it later. He says he asked who he was and what he had done. So picture this. You got Paul. It's just been beaten by a bunch of Jews. He's wrapped up hands and feet. He's laying there in the dirt, and the commander looks at him and says, what is going on? Who are you, and what have you done? And then everybody in the crowd, all the Jews, and everybody, they start yelling at him and saying accusations, and the, the people that made the first accusations aren't even around. So all sorts of accusations are being made. You you can make a lot of accusations about Jews that, according to the law, you, you realize you, you can't eat a cheeseburger in Israel. You, you can't because you're mixing dairy with meat. You can't mix the the milk of the cow with the cow. It's one of the laws. There's no cheese. You can go to McDonald's, but you can't get a cheeseburger. They could have accused Paul of eating a cheeseburger. And they got him chained up, and they're like, well, why do we have you chained up? It says, he asked what he's done. Some of the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. Since he was not able to get a reliable information because of the uproar, he ordered to be taken to the barracks. There's so much chaos going on. He's like, hey, guys, let's just get him out of here. We'll try to sort this out. We'll take him up to the barracks. The barracks are actually called the Atonia Fortress. That's the official name for it. That's where these soldiers stayed. It says when Paul got to the steps, there's two flights of steps to get up there. He had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. He's also chained up. For the mass people followed yelling, get rid of him. So now he's on the courtyard of this fortress overlooking the temple. 
And they're in the temple and they're outside of the temple and they're all yelling and screaming about Paul and all this other stuff and there's just chaos. But now the soldiers have him secluded up in this area. And as he was about to be brought into the barracks, Paul said to the commander, am I allowed to say something to you? Like, can I just get a word real quick? He replied, you know how to speak Greek? The, the cool thing about Paul was that not only was he a Jew, but he was from Rome as well. He was considered a Roman citizen. He was highly educated. He could speak Hebrew and he could speak Greek. And so he's speaking in this Roman soldier's language. And he's like, you know how to speak Greek? Aren't you, th- aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt some time ago and led 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness? It's like, who are you? That's not Paul. That wasn't him. Now the commander's going, oh, you're not that dude. So why, why do we have you in handcuffs? Paul said, I am a Jewish man from the Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of an important city. Now I ask you, let me speak to the people. And the commander allows Paul to speak, but not until next Sunday. This is like, it's like you get to the scene, you know, and all these Netflix shows that you're watching there show you slides for the videos from next week. Sorry about you. It, Luke, if, if we can, I just believe if we can make these stories come alive, it, it's not my responsibility to make them come alive to the teenagers. But I, I love studying myself. I love teaching. And I think about it. I think about it and process it all week long. What did what did this look like? How, how did this how did this play out? And it, I ha, I just have joy up here teaching about it. And uh, but it's not my responsibility for you to have a passion about it. It's not. And so praying for a passion for the kids and even the adults to dig into the Word is pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. There's some pretty crazy stuff that happens in here. And uh, it's real. It's absolutely real. My other ones are going with me to Israel. It's like, I can't wait to sit here and go, this is where this happened, this is where this happened, this is where this happened. It's the real deal. I encourage you to read your Bible. We're going to model that for our kids. So Jesus, um, thanks for Paul's story. Thanks for Luke just describing it to a T. And I pray that the passion, the passion for your word, the passion for not just your word, but just the gospel of seeing people set free from the law and free from religion, which is all Paul wanted that uh, that can happen here because we know laws being taught here today for sure. And so I trust you that freedom can, um, freedom can just run free. 
Let them see it. Let their eyes be opened. That you love them and that you want to live their life for them. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.